Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading this evening is taken from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, and can be found on page 12 of the Church Bibles. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Our second reading uh, is from Acts chapter 2, page 1093, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blown of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you both very much. Hi everyone, my name's Matthew, and uh, it's a pleasure to be carrying on in our Acts series. I know a number of people have been here for the last few weeks, and this is our third in, um, in a run of four, looking at these first two chapters in Acts. So let's pray and ask for the Spirit's help today. Our Father in heaven, as you sent your Holy Spirit and he helped them to speak, please, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help me to speak your words. And by your Holy Spirit, please open all our hearts that we might hear and receive your word to us. Soften us that we might believe and receive with joy your word today. Amen. I've enjoyed this week researching what things you can do at different ages. At five, you start education. Now, my boys are about to do that, and it's slightly terrifying for me. At 10, you have responsibility for any crimes that you commit. At 12, you can watch 12 A's, but also you can be trained for dangerous performances. Uh, there's lots through the teenage years. You can get a part-time job when you're 14. You can change your name at 16. Or you can buy a national lottery ticket. Or you can buy a pet at 16. 17 is driving and donating blood. 18 is the big one, isn't it? Uh, no longer a child. There's loads that you can now do. But 21 is the last one. Uh, you can supervise someone learning to drive, and you can adopt your own children. And then there are no more age-related stages after 21. You're a full adult, ready to go. Well, today we're thinking about a big milestone in the church. Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit. And some say Pentecost is the birthday of the church, the day the church was born. And I want to say, yes, it is the church's birthday, but it's its 21st birthday, the day of maturity. There are no more milestones after this. You see, the church has always existed in one form or another. As long as there have been people worshipping God, that is the church. And they've been through quite a story, haven't we, as the church. It starts with Adam and Eve, the first people of God. 
Then it's Abraham and his family. Later they are rescued from Egypt, aren't they? And they become the nation of Israel. Later the church is that nation living in their land under kings, people like David. For their sin, they go into exile. And after 70 years, they come back. And that's the time of Nehemiah. If you've been here in the mornings, we've been looking at his story. But that's the church, but it's still not right then, is it? If you were here this morning, you'll have seen that. Still not right. In the New Testament, we get a new people gathered around Jesus. Jesus died, he rose, he ascended into heaven. His people are saved, but they need to wait for just one more thing. For the Holy Spirit to come. That's what Jesus told them in chapter 1 of Acts. And here that happens. And so now, there's no more milestones until the end. On God's timeline, the next thing is the final judgment. Obviously, after that is, is all the people of God living in the new creation, the ultimate church. But within this timeline, Pentecost is the start of the final phase of the church. So this is our 21st birthday. And so in this passage, it's an important passage for us, what we're going to see is a few things that define the church now in this final phase, in this mature phase. Three things, all of which I hope will spur us on to join in the mission of the church. Because now, in this final phase, we can reach the world. So first, in the final phase of the church... Everyone receives the Holy Spirit. In the final phase of the church, everyone receives the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit arrives, three supernatural things happen. Something they hear, something they see, and something they say. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is clearly a supernatural moment. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit in his fullness. The Holy Spirit has been around occasionally beforehand, but this is this whole new moment. This is the equivalent of Jesus' incarnation when he was born. This is the sending of the third person of the Trinity. It's a really big deal. And there's this point being made here about everyone receiving him. They were all together in one place. I think this is probably more than just the 12. I think this is the 120 believers. And verse 4, all of them were filled and spoke in other tongues. 
It's the same in, um, in Peter's quotation at the end there. He's quoting from the Old Testament prophet of Joel, who spoke hundreds of years beforehand and, and said what would happen when God would bring renewal to his people. Verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That pouring out language, it's, um, it's not like a careful, limited application. It's abundant. It's overflowing. You can't put the Holy Spirit back in the can. All people will receive him, both men and women, young and old, even lowly status people like servants. And it didn't used to be like this. That's the point. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was just given to special people for special roles and maybe just for a limited period of time. But now, he's with everyone who believes. That's the promise made by Joel. And we see its fulfillment here. So friends, if you believe in Jesus... You have the Holy Spirit within you. There are no VIP perks, no tiers of membership, no favoritism with God. As with salvation, so also the gift of the Holy Spirit is just by His grace to us all. I guess that people will have questions around this. Uh, All sorts of questions, maybe things like this. What is speaking in tongues? Uh, What is going on here? What's happening when people today seem to speak in tongues? How does that compare with other descriptions of speaking in tongues in in the Bible, like in 1 Corinthians 14? Uh, What's about, you know, there there's some idea of heavenly languages. Probably the main question is, should we expect this sort of thing now? Well, I'll try and answer some of those questions. I, I, I doubt I'll sort of satisfy everyone's questions, so do come and talk with me afterwards if, um, if, uh, if you've got more questions. But first, what is speaking in tongues? Well, here, it's speaking in another language which other people can understand so that more people can hear the wonders of God. That's quite clear, isn't it? If you were to look at 1 Corinthians 14, though, and in some other places, speaking in tongues is a bit different. It's speaking in an unknown heavenly language. Uh, I think it's for an individual in their own prayer life. But if it's in a service altogether, then it should be followed by an interpretation, also given by the Holy Spirit, so that the whole church can be built up. It seems to me that the former one, the, uh, the other human languages, is specific to Pentecost. I don't think it happens again. It doesn't seem to be a regular feature of the church. I've never heard of this. I think this was a unique miracle for a unique moment. But the heavenly languages idea, that, um, that sounds like it could have been a more regular thing. And I think that's what people experience today. So, should we expect to have that experience ourselves? On the first, I think almost certainly not. Uh, Not that God couldn't miraculously give you the ability to speak another language. You know, I'd love that to happen. But it's just that he never promises to, and I've never seen that happen. 
On the second, I do think that does happen. Some can pray in heavenly languages. Now, I don't, and, uh, and I don't want to set any expectation that you should. Again, there's no promise for it. It just seems to be a gift from God for some people. What I want is for us all to be happy knowing that we all have the Holy Spirit all from the moment we believe in Jesus, whether or not we speak in tongues. You don't need to have a special experience. You don't need to look at others and think, they've clearly got the Spirit and I've not. What should I be doing to to be a better Christian? In the Old Testament, you could well have thought that. You could have looked at people like Samuel and thought, well, he's a better Christian. He has got the Holy Spirit and I don't. But not now. Not in this phase of the church. We have a promise that the Spirit is for everyone from Pentecost onwards. So you do have him. And as you look at your life, you'll see his work. You read the Bible and he's helping you to understand and to believe it. And he works changes in your life. You'll see areas of sin and and you'll make progress And that's his work in your life. And he helps you speak about Jesus when you never thought you could. There's a real emphasis here, isn't there, on speaking by the Holy Spirit. These these first people here, they have the ability to speak in other languages. The Joel prophecy, it talks about... Um, What does it talk about? It talks about prophecies and visions and dreaming dreams... It's worth saying, it's not, it's not here trying to say that these type of people will do these things. You know, uh, young men having visions and old men dreams, you know, very precisely like that. No, it's all of these were ways in the Old Testament that God spoke to his people and through his people. So now, though, he's, that's not how he's speaking through visions. He's speaking as his people boldly Share the word of God. And so this is an encouragement for us all. We can all play our part in this mission. We all have the Holy Spirit. And uh, and so we can all speak about Jesus. And we can pray that the Holy Spirit will be there helping us speak and helping people to respond. This is the age of gospel proclamation by the power of the Holy Spirit. These guys from the Oaks have been showing us that. They've been doing that. They've been taking the message of Jesus to all of those around us. And look, we can all join in. In the final phase of the church, everyone receives the Holy Spirit. Next, in the final phase of the church, all barriers are overcome. There's an emphasis also in this passage of of all the different types of people here. There are 15 different places mentioned from all over, all across the map, with Jerusalem roughly at the center. What's this about? What's the importance of, of this list of people? I think it's showing that the national and language barriers are going to be overcome in this phase of the church. There'll be no more barriers 
around language. Are you languages people? Some people love languages, don't they? Um, some people just like pick up a language and, uh, and love that there's many different languages. Uh, Rob's a great language guy. He's always sort of doing one, one or another. And he's actually told me that Penny's the very best at the languages. Some of you just love your languages. I think they're a curse. <laughs> you know, the, um, at school I did French and Latin, GCSE, and they were the worst things I did. At theological college, they made me do Greek and Hebrew. I could, I could barely do them. And, uh, and next week, we're going on holiday to France. So I've downloaded the Duolingo app. <laughs> I'm picking up my French GCSE, see what I can do. Um, I've given up after about three days. <laughs> do you know in the Bible, on the one hand, it says that languages are a curse. But on the other hand, it also says that they're a very special thing. We read the story of the Tower of Babel. In their pride, they tried to make a name for themselves without God. And so he mixed up their languages. Multiple languages was a curse on them. Then in the Old Testament church, um, that nation of Israel, other people could come in, but they had to become an Israelite and accept their culture and their language. For those of us here this morning, that was the very thing going on in Nehemiah, wasn't it? So languages are still a problem. But at the same time, there's the prophecy that came up a few times for a future when all nations would come in and bring with them their different languages and their different culture, and that would be a wonderful thing, and together all the nations would worship God. And that's what it's going to be like in the new creation. Lots of languages, but presumably the ability to understand each other. It's an exciting prospect, isn't it? Anyway, here in Acts 2, thinking about all these people, this is a real issue. It's Pentecost, that's a big Jewish festival. All these people have come in from all over. That's great, but they've each got their own language, and so they can't understand each other. And that's not so great. But then comes the Holy Spirit, and it's not a straight reversal of Babel, is it? They're not all given one language. They're actually given the ability to communicate across languages. It's a brief but wonderful picture of the new creation. And the significance is that the mature church, from this point onwards, will no longer have any barriers around language or nationality. It's open for all, all who come in by the name of Jesus. So there's no requirement here to become Jewish. There's no requirement here to learn Hebrew. We can translate the Bible into any language and it's still valid. Interestingly, that's not something that's possible with Islam, is it? And I think this is something really worth being excited about. The church is the best place to see diversity and harmony. It's not perfect by any means. We're all still sinners. We're bringing that in as well. But this is really the best place to bring together the nations. 
On a local level, often churches are a great mixing pot of people who wouldn't mix in any other setting. On a global level, Christianity is the most diverse religion. Other religions generally stick in one place, don't they? For one sort of race of people. But Christianity has embraced and been embraced by people around the world. And I think it's also fair to say that nations which have been shaped by Christianity are generally more accepting places too. This is really good. But it's worth keeping working at, isn't it? It's worth keeping us all working at, not allowing any barriers to form. So let's be ready to give a welcome to all people from all nations, whoever you find yourself sat next to. Give them a good, warm welcome. When you come into church... Each Sunday, think, who might I welcome today? Maybe look for someone who's not so like you and go and say hello. And let's go out looking for all sorts of people. Who to give that Coronation New Testament to? Who to invite to Hope Explored? Not just someone like you. Try crossing a barrier to someone unlike you. Because this is the phase of the church where there are no more barriers. And it's exciting to see mission to the nations happening here in Sheffield. It does happen, doesn't it? We've got all these international students. There's the International Cafe run by Caleb and his team. It's great to have Mandarin speakers here in our church family as well. This is exactly what we should be doing. And we have missionaries to the nations sent out from here. That's one of our great things. That, you know, at the prayer meetings, we love to hear their news and pray for them. And apparently, there's a fear that the younger generations haven't embraced overseas mission like uh, generations before. Maybe it's um, seen as not politically correct. Maybe we don't want to leave our comfort zones. Well, if you do want to explore it, you'll have the full support of this church because it's exactly the sort of thing that we should be doing. In the final phase of the church, all barriers are overcome. And then finally, one more thing to see from this passage. In the final phase of the church, the next thing is Judgment Day. This is the second part of the Joel quotation, verses 19 to 20. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. This is about the timeline of God's plan. He's got a plan of action. You know those Gantt charts with the sort of the, many of you have no idea what that even is, sorry. What comes after what? Um, A fancy timeline. God's got one. And the prophecy of Joel sets it out. He talks about salvation coming. 
restoration and forgiveness of sins. And on the timeline, the next thing is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, that's happening right here, right now. But the Joel prophecy says what comes next as well. And the next big thing is judgment day. God's got no major events until then. No more key divine interventions. No more sending of any member of the Trinity. The next thing is judgment day. These verses are apocalyptic. They include signs and wonders like the sun going dark and and the moon turning to blood. These are scary things, world collapsing things. And these are used in the Bible as warnings that God is about to come in judgment. And it might feel like the sort of wacky things that sort of wacky Christians say, you know, out with their placards or sandwich boards calling out the day of the Lord cometh. But it's not wacky actually, they might be, but the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. It's a big and it's a standard message in the Bible. One day Jesus will come back to judge the world. Everything will be laid bare. There'll be justice for all those wicked, unaccountable people who've caused so much harm. Justice for all those who got away with it. Justice for each one of us too. Our hearts and our secrets and our failures will be laid bare before him. This is serious. And the point of Joel, picked up by Peter, is this. When you see the Holy Spirit coming, which is happening right there at Pentecost, then you can tick that off on the timeline and move down to the next thing and see, ah, yes, judgment day. When? We don't know, but it is the next thing. This is serious. Both Joel and Peter want us to know, though, that there is a way of rescue. There is salvation, verse 21. You can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. So what Peter does next is preach a great sermon about salvation in the name of the Lord. And we'll get to look at that next week. For now... Let's appreciate the time that we're in. This is the time of mission. We have the Holy Spirit so we can witness. The next thing is judgment day and so we must witness. World mission is a wonderful thing. I hope it gives you joy but it's also a very serious thing. See that too. And might we all make a sober dedication to this work. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, pondering his own country and the judgment of God, he said this, I tremble for my country when I think that God is just. And maybe there's a case for trembling for our country too and for our world. 
and a need for serious work to reach it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you very much that you sent your Holy Spirit to. Thank you that he came at Pentecost and he came to us all. He came to the church that we might have life, that we might know you, and that with him we might reach the world. Lord, please be with us powerfully by his presence. Please help us. Please help us to reach this world for your name and for your glory. Amen.